Thank you, Gary, for reading our scripture tonight, and thank you for being here. It's good to see you. We're thankful that you're back tonight. We hope and pray that our service tonight is beneficial to you as we worship God in spirit and truth. We're looking, as read just a moment ago, at Acts chapter 16. And we want to look at Acts 16 tonight as we think about a lady by the name of Lydia. And we've been looking at some of the great characters of Scripture tonight, no exception. We don't have a lot of information about this lady, but what we do have is very positive. And we talk about some of the conversion stories in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, as you well know, has been called the hub of the Bible. And in Acts chapter 2, we have the establishment of the Lord's church purchased by divine blood. And from that time forward, we read about many, many people obeying the gospel and becoming members of the blood-bought body of Christ. And by the way, when you go back and look at the various accounts recorded by Luke, and Luke was an inspired historian, those who obeyed the gospel in the first century, every single person did the same thing to become a part of the body of Christ. And so if we want to become what they were some 2,000 years ago, we have to do what they did, and that's simply to obey the gospel of Christ and thus enjoy all the benefits and blessings that are in Christ. So pick up tonight in Acts chapter 16, we find the Apostle Paul and those who were with him, they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia. And the Bible says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia, which was simply a Roman province of Asia. When they had come to Messiah, they tried to go into Bethania, and that would be a region of Galatia. The Bible says that the Spirit did not permit them, wouldn't allow it. So passing by Messiah, they came down to Troas. And there the Bible says a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia, which was a Roman province of Greece. And the Roman name for Macedonia would be Achaia. And the Bible says that in this vision, Paul saw a man who pleaded with him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And so in verse 10, Luke said, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So now we have an instance of the gospel for the very first time being preached on European soil. And so in verse 11, the Bible says that, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. Now, they're moving westward in their travels. And the Bible says that from there they came to Philippi, which is the foremost or leading city of that part of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. Verse 13, the Bible says, On the, on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. It's here that they come in contact with a businesswoman by the name of Lydia. The Bible says a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, 
And when she had begged, or rather when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she constrained us. There are a number of things that we could say about this text. I want to just maybe share some thoughts connected to Lydia. First of all, she was a woman of productivity. She was a businesswoman. And she was from a very famous town in the ancient world, placed by the name of Thyatira. If you go back and look at Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches of Asia, one of those congregations that the Lord evaluated in the first century was the church at Thyatira. This woman apparently was a religious woman. In other words, she was either Jewish or a proselyte to the Jewish, to the Jewish faith. Matter of fact, the text tells us that Paul and those with him found her and those who were with her down by the riverside. Now, in the first century, in ancient times, in order to have a synagogue in a city, you had to have ten Jewish men. So apparently, there were not ten Jewish men in that city. And so not only was she a woman of productivity, but she was a woman of prayerfulness. I would take this to mean that she was interested in spiritual things. And because of her interest in spiritual things, her heart was receptive to the gospel of Christ. So note again verse 14. The Bible says that there was a certain woman named Lydia who heard us. Now, the text doesn't necessarily amplify all that took place on this occasion. So what we have to do is take the information that we have and make some inferences or draw some conclusions. So the Bible says that this lady from Thyatira, she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her, her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Now there are those in the religious world today that will tell you, in order for you to be receptive to the gospel of Christ, the Lord, or the Holy Spirit, has to somehow miraculously operate independently of the Word on your heart. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches at all. Because if you look at what the record says, Luke said that she heard their teaching. Now the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So obviously she had to know something about the gospel in order to obey the gospel. And so the text says, The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. I think a commentary on this would be found over in Hebrews chapter 2, where the writer there said that we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. This lady had an honest and a good heart. Now I want to just direct your attention to a passage found in John chapter 6 for a minute. In John 6 verses 44 and 45, Jesus had this to say, It is written in the prophets, They shall all be taught by God. Therefore every man that hath heard and learned of the Father comes to me. Question. Is that not what happened on this occasion? Did she not have the opportunity, and those in her household, did she not have the opportunity 
to hear the gospel. She needed to know, to know something about the Messiah, the fact that the anointed one, the Messiah, had indeed come. As we noted this morning, in the Old Testament, the writers were pointing to the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one. And over and over again, you read about those inspired penmen pointing in the direction of the coming of the Redeemer, that being the Christ. And so now we have affirmation that Christ has come. We know that from reading Matthew chapter 1 and going forward. So in the first century, Paul and his co-laborers, they oftentimes went to the synagogue for what purpose? Sharing the gospel. Matter of fact, let me give you an illustration of what we're talking about. Look at Acts 17. In Acts chapter 17, of course, Luke tells us here that they had passed through Amphipolis, Apollonia, and they came to the city of Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And so now you have a synagogue as opposed to Philippi where you didn't. And the Bible says in verse 2, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer to rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So Paul spent some three weeks in the city of Thessalonica preaching and teaching about the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then you remember after the Apostle Paul and Silas had to flee Thessalonica. The charge was made that they had turned the world upside down. Drop down, look at verse 10. In verse 10, Paul and Silas then make their way to the city of Berea. And the Bible says when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And so here again, they have a captive audience. And in verse 11, Luke said these were more fair-minded or more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Now just key in on that, that idea there. They received the word of God with all readiness of mind. In other words, they had what Jesus called in Luke 8, 15, a noble or an honest and good heart. If the gospel is going to do what it's intended to do, then it has to have a fertile heart, fertile ground. Just like if you sow seed in the ground and you want to produce a crop from that seed, you've got to have the right kind of environment, the right kind of soil. In order for people to obey the gospel, they've got to have the right kind of heart, don't they? Now, I mentioned a moment ago that some have said, some today, as well as in days gone by, that in order to become a child of God, the Holy Spirit has to directly operate on your heart. Well, if you go back to John chapter 16, let's go back to John 16. I want you to see something with me, and you might want to make a notation or two in this text. In John chapters 13 through 17, Jesus, of course, is closing out his ministry, that is, his earthly ministry. And so he is talking to his disciples or to the apostles. And so in John chapters, well, 14, 15, and 16, he begins talking to them about the Holy Spirit or the Comforter who would come to them. 
the purpose for the coming of the Holy Spirit, look at verse 26, chapter 14. He said, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now, you've got to understand, He's talking to the apostles. Are there things applicable in John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 to us today? Yes. But you've got to understand the context in which these statements are made. He's talking specifically to the apostles. He is making the promise to them that they will be the recipients of the Holy Spirit. They would receive that baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit, according to the Lord, when they assembled in Jerusalem and Pentecost Day would come. So now look at chapter 16. In chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, or it is expedient, that I go away. He said, For if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But he said, If I depart, I will send him to you. Now, all right, here's the question. The Lord was going to send the Holy Spirit to the apostles. What then would be the function of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles in the first century? Well, Jesus spells it out, doesn't He? Here's what He said. Verse 8, When He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they did not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. And the Bible says, whatever He hears, He will speak and He will tell you things to come. So what the Lord is saying to the apostles is that God's Word, given by revelation through the Holy Spirit, would have the ability or power to convict people of sin. Well, how does that happen? Through the preaching and teaching of the Gospel. You remember in Acts chapter 2, let's turn now to Acts chapter 2. I think it's important that we look at these verses together so that we might better understand what is taking place in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 2, you have the gospel being preached in its fullness for the very first time. And the Apostle Peter is the inspired spokesman. We have a record of his sermon. He talks about the death of Jesus, the fact that they had crucified and slain the very Son of God, the one through whom the world would be saved. So he talks about the Christ who was put to death, but as he said, God raised him from the dead. And after raising him from the dead, he took a seat at the right hand of the Father. He now sits upon a spiritual throne, the throne of David. So in verse 36, Peter said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now look at verse 37. When they heard this, the Bible says they were cut or pricked in their heart. What then was the instrument that pricked or cut the hearts of those who were assembled in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day? It was the Word of God, wasn't it? And didn't the Hebrew writer say in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword? 
God's Word is, has been revealed through what means? Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the revealing cause of our salvation. Today, as Peter said, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. The Holy Spirit does not work independently of the Word, but rather the Holy Spirit operates through the Word. And that's exactly what you have. So here is Lydia and those who are, who are with her. They have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are convicted that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. She has an open heart, an open mind to what she's heard. Now look again at the text. Go back again and look at Acts 16. The Bible says that the Lord opened her heart to heed the things that had been spoken by Paul. And then in verse 15, Luke said, when they heard the, Luke said that when she and her household were baptized, well, wait a minute. There's no record here of Paul and those who were with him teaching and preaching about baptism. Did you read anything in the context about that? Not a word. Well, what then happened so that she might know what to do to become a child of God? He had to teach her, didn't he? Again, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So what then did she have to have in order to become a Christian? Number one, she had to have the gospel taught to her, didn't she? Anyone who wants to become a child of God today has to first hear the gospel. And then after hearing the gospel and being persuaded of what has been said, that can produce conviction which leads to repentance. Now I want you to go back and look at Acts chapter 8 again. Another passage, Acts 8, in connection with what we're talking about tonight. In Acts chapter 8, you remember Luke said that there was, a, there was persecution that swept the early church in the first century, and the disciples were all scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. And those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Word. And you can read about the results of that over in Acts chapter 11. In verse 5, though, the Bible says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. What then is entailed in preaching Christ today? What was entailed in preaching Christ in the first century? Well, look at verse 12. When they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God. Well, what's the kingdom of God? It's the church. Jesus made that abundantly clear in Matthew 16, 18 and 19. He had promised to build the church in verse 19. He told the apostles that they would be the recipients of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And all the apostles received those or received the keys according to chapter 18, verse 18 of Matthew. So they heard something about the kingdom of God, the church. Well, why is it so important for us to preach about the church of Christ? Why would people need to know something about the church? Because the church is the house of the redeemed. It's the family of God. And so you've got to lay what we would call a foundation, don't you? 
And you've got to tell people that when they obey the gospel, they are then added to a divine body. Now, there are folks in the world today that will tell you, you don't have to be a member of the church to go to heaven. The church is non-essential in the grand scheme of things. Well, that's rather odd because Jesus said He would build the church and Luke said in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, that Jesus purchased the church with His blood. Salvation is where? It's in Christ. That's what Paul said, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Salvation is not only in Christ, it is in the church of Christ. So in verse 47, Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. If you want a commentary on that, look at Acts 5 verse 14. And the believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Belief there, embracing an obedient faith. So now look again at what is said. They believe Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Both men and women were baptized. Again, nothing said explicitly about Philip preaching on baptism. But you have to infer that he did because they were baptized into Christ. And by the way, make note of this. Those who were baptized into Christ were men and women. Some try to say in Acts chapter 16 with regard to the household of Lydia that she had small children and they were sprinkled upon or baptized. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. They could have been servants. And I know that they weren't children because we're talking about a believer's baptism. Isn't that what Jesus said, Mark 16, 16? Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And an infant is not born in sin, which is what some claim. They say that we inherit the sin of Adam. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. No, Ezekiel said, The soul that sins, it shall surely die. And Ezekiel went on to say, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. So we don't, we don't become the recipients of Adam's sin. We're not tainted at birth. We suffer the consequences of sin as a result of what happened in the garden. Now, drop down look again, down in verse 26. Philip has been preaching and teaching in the city of Samaria. A number of people have obeyed the gospel, and now we have him coming in contact with a eunuch. He's from Ethiopia. He's been to Jerusalem to worship. I would assume that this man was a proselyte to the Jewish religion. He's on his way back home. He's reading from Isaiah chapter 53 about the suffering servant. When Philip encounters him, do you remember he asked the question, Do you understand what you're reading? His response was, how can I accept some man guide me? He needed divine revelation in order to know the truth of God. Now again, the medium by which this was accomplished was Philip, wasn't it? Philip preaches the gospel to him. So note what is said down in verse, well look if you would, at verse in verse 34, again, he's reading from Isaiah 53. He wants to know of whom does the prophet speak, of himself, some of the man. And the Bible says that Philip opened his mouth 
And beginning at this scripture, what scripture? Isaiah 53, he preached Jesus to him. Philip has preached the gospel in Samaria. Now he's preaching the gospel to this eunuch. And the Bible says, as they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Well, how did he know anything about being baptized? How would he have known you need to be baptized into Christ? Well, if you're going to preach about Christ, and you're going to hold up the man of salvation, don't you have to teach the plan of salvation? And so Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. His response was, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So now you have an individual who has gone from being a proselyte to the Jewish religion to a believer in the Christ, that is the Anointed One, convicted that He is the divine Son of God. And so in verse 38, the Bible says, He commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and He baptized him. Turn now back again to Acts 16. After the conversion of Lydia, we read of Paul and Silas being apprehended and thrown in prison, a Roman prison cell. Their feet are fastened in stocks, and we read about an earthquake that occurs, and the text says that the prison doors were opened, and they were loosened from their chains, the Roman jailer that had custody of these men feared that they had escaped. And Paul said, do yourself no harm, we're all here. Called for light, ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's a profound question, isn't it? All right, here's what the text says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. There are a lot of people that stop at this verse. All you have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Well, this guy was a Roman jailer. I would conclude that he was a pagan, knew nothing. So in order for him to be saved, did he not need someone to believe in? Well, the answer would be yes. So look now at verse 30, look at verse 32. In verse 32, the Bible says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Well, why did they speak the word of the Lord to him and those who are in his household? Because if they were going to be saved, they needed to know something about the Christ and the church of Christ and the hope of heaven. And the only way that they could have known that would have been for the gospel to have been preached to them. So now look at verse 33. The Bible says, He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, indicative of His penitent heart, and immediately He and all His family were baptized. Why were they baptized? The very same reason Lydia was, to become a Christian. So what then are we saying that a person has to do to become a New Testament Christian? And once a person is willing to do what the Bible says, what church then do they belong to? Well, number one, you've got to believe Jesus is the Son of God. 
Belief is absolutely mandatory. That's what the Hebrew writer said, Hebrews chapter 11. Without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to Him. Jesus said, if, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. So there has to be conviction that Jesus is who He claimed to be. It's what happened on Pentecost Day, isn't it? Let all the house of Israel know assuredly this same Jesus whom you crucified, God's made both Lord and Christ. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked, cut to the heart. And they wanted to know, men and brethren, what shall we do? What they did in Jerusalem is the very same thing they did in Samaria. What they did in Samaria is the very same thing that the eunuch did, recorded by Luke in Acts 16, or rather Acts 8. The same thing Lydia did, the same thing the jailer did. So they believed in the Christ. They were willing to repent of sin because they had been convicted of sin. They were willing to confess the name of Christ as the eunuch did in Acts 8 verse 37. And then they were baptized into Jesus Christ for what reason? To show people that they were saved? Is that what we hear today? Outward sign, inward faith? And what about those who say, well, you know, you really don't have to be baptized into Christ to go to heaven. I mean, it's not that essential. It's not, you need to do it. But it's not imperative. I guess they know more than the Lord does. Because Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 16. And Jesus has all authority, Matthew 28, 18. The terms of admission into the kingdom of God have not changed. They're the same today as they were 2,000 years ago. If the world stands another 2,000 years, those terms set forth by the apostles to enter the kingdom will be the same. The psalmist said in the long ago, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So here's a question. Lydia and her household obeyed the gospel of Christ. So if they obeyed the gospel of Christ, what church did they then, did they then become members of? What church? There's only one church in existence. Now listen, we live in a day and time when people want to be politically correct. We don't want to say anything going to ruffle anybody's feathers. But there comes a time when somebody needs to tell people the truth of God. And if you're not in the church that you read about in the Bible, you are not among the saved. Were they added to the Baptist church? Well, what about the Methodist church? Presbyterian Church, Catholic Church, Church of God in Christ. Listen, those churches did not exist in the first century. Had you and I the opportunity to pull somebody to the side and say, oh, by the way, what church do you belong to? What would they have said? The only church that they knew about was the church that they had heard about through what? Inspired preaching and teaching. And so if people want to be saved today, they've got to be in Christ and in the church of Christ. Well, how do I know that? Because the Bible says He is the Savior of the body, and there's just one body. And the body's the church. He put all things in subjection to His feet, made Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body. And Paul said there is one body, Ephesians 4, verse 4. When you're baptized into Christ, you contact the grace of Almighty God, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You enjoy the blessings of salvation or redemption. You are reconciled in that one body, the church. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 2.16. You are then numbered among the saved. 
Now, if somebody says they've done something other than what Lydia did, or the jailer did, or the eunuch did, or those on Pentecost Day did, are they a Christian? In the kindest way I know how to say it, no, they are not. No, ma'am, no, sir. You've got to be in the church. There's only one church authorized in the Bible wherein the saved reside, and that's the church of Christ. That's it. There's only one church. And there are folks in our world today, when you preach and teach that, they don't like it. And we've got brethren in churches of Christ that don't want people to say anything about the one true church. Well, let me tell you what. If you're not in the one true church, you are not among the saved. And if you're not among the saved, then that means you're lost. So, doesn't it stand to reason that we are obligated to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ? That we got to tell people, listen, this is what the truth says. You want to be saved? Then you've got to do what the Bible says. Nothing more, nothing less. Paul in Romans chapter 4 asked this question, what does the Scripture say? Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody watching television, listening to the radio, attending various churches around the world, wouldn't it be wonderful if people just asked a simple question, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? I had a conversation with a fellow some years ago when I was in Chesapeake, Virginia. He had grown up in a denomination. Matter of fact, his father was a denominational preacher. And he said there was a gospel preacher. He's in the service, probably 18, 19, 20 years of age. So he sits down and begins talking to a preacher in the Lord's church. This guy pulls out his cock manual. That is the manual for the Baptist church. And in that manual it said that there was a time when the door into the church was through baptism. But it's changed now. So this brother asked this fella, who had the authority to change that? He told me, when the preacher said that to him, he said, it turned my world upside down. He said he got in his car, drove 12 hours from South Carolina to Louisiana to sit before his father and ask him about that. His father asked the question, who you been talking to? Now listen, if we have an honest and good heart and we hear the truth of Almighty God, we will do what the Bible says. But if we are prejudiced, if we have the idea that we know it all and we're not willing to listen to anybody else, or if we have this idea that, well, it's good enough for my folks, and if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. The old saying, every tub has to sit on its own bottom. Every person will ultimately, individually, give an account before Almighty God. You're not going to be judged on the basis of what your mama believed, your daddy believed, your brother believed, your children. You're going to be judged on the basis of what you have believed, and what you have done or not done. Does it matter whether or not we do what the Bible says? Well, let me just read for you one passage of Scripture. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath that which judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. 
You remember John said, I saw the dead small and great standing before God and the books were opened? You're not going to be judged by Hiscox's manual. You're not going to be judged by any type of catechism, manual of faith. We're going to be judged by the Word of the living God. And that Word will stand forever. So does it matter whether or not I've obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes or no? Yes. If we want to go to heaven, it does. That's why it's imperative that people hear the truth of God. Paul, in writing to the saints in Rome, said, God be thanked that though you were the servants of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, that pattern of doctrine delivered to you. You're saying then that there's a pattern, a form that we follow to become a child of God? That's exactly right. And you're saying that no one has the right to abrogate that plan? That's exactly right. There's not a man on earth has the, has the authority to stand up and tell somebody that they can do something other than what the apostle said and become a child of God. There's not a man on earth that can stand up and preach and teach a denomination and say the saved are in it. Why? Because it's a violation of Scripture. Plain and simple. In closing, if you don't understand anything I've said tonight, if you haven't understood what I've said, then please see me after services. I'll be happy to answer any question you have. And listen, our goal is to understand truth. And if you can show me in the Bible... If you can show me in the Bible that what I have said is not true, then let me tell you what, I'll join ranks with you. But if you can't, I'm not going to bend or buckle. I'm going to stand for what the Bible teaches. That's all we can do. Preach the Word. That's what Paul said, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, why not obey the gospel tonight? Had a young lady that was baptized this afternoon, Shania, sitting to my left. Obeyed the gospel this afternoon, sins forgiven. You know what, Lydia was persuaded and enjoyed pardon. And if you'll do what she did, you can become a child of God. You can be a member of the same church that she was. And you can have the same assurance that you are in Christ and have the hope of heaven. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to His cause... My plea to you, come home. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, and we just outlined it a minute ago, if you haven't done what the Bible says to do, please don't leave here tonight. I, I know sometimes when we talk about the truth and we are plain, sometimes it ruffles feathers. Look, I'm not trying to hurt you. My intents do not make you mad, but my intent is to show you what the Bible says. And if what the Bible says is true, then believe it and obey it. You need to respond. Please come as we stand and sing.